Coming to you via the internet and your friends at PipesMagazine.com, it's the Pipes Magazine radio show. The show that is so bad we have to pay for the products to be placed in the show and then pay the company to talk about them. Now I invite you to sit back, relax, the smoking lamp is lit. Here's your host, Brian Levine. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Pipes Magazine radio show. Yes, the sometimes irreverent, sometimes educational, but always entertaining weekly pipe smoking broadcast. And I am your host, Brian Levine, uh, coming to you from the partial construction zone that is known as my house just outside of Charlotte, North Carolina. More on that in a minute. Uh, In this week's show, in Pipe Parts, we are going to be talking about aromatics. Three aromatics that I suggest you try if you want to get into aromatics. My guest is a part-time pipe maker, Mike Burks, who I didn't know until I got a chance to talk to him on the phone and record this. Uh, Suggested music from a listener, a big mailbag, and a rave. All that coming up at the end of the show, so stay tuned all the way. Uh, JDRF auctions are over. More on that in the rave. Uh, and I believe all the items have been purchased, uh, so that's all done and uh, finished. Uh, there is still a fundraiser on my Facebook page. If you want to go there, you can find it. Uh, I believe it's going to be open for another day or so. So do check that out, and thank you to everyone that participated. And if you hear all the dingling in the background, well, that's because right now the house is in the process of being painted. Yeah, the joys of homeownership. Uh, yeah, we found some wood rot and some other stuff, so pieces and parts had to be replaced, and yeah, new pe- and new paint and everything. And it's just the trim work because our house is made out of brick, but still, it's yeah, a lot of work. And then the process has to happen in the right order. And the, uh, I mean, the fallout is uh, right here in the middle of summer when I would really like it the most. I've lost my uh, little screened-in porch and uh, smoking spot for a couple of weeks. Uh, We'll deal with that. And do not forget, uh, do not forget the NASPC show, Columbus, Ohio, uh, still scheduled and coming up this uh, week and a half, so August 13th, 14th. I don't know, we'll be there the 12th through the 15th. Looking forward to that, looking forward to getting to a pipe show and yeah just can't can't wait so all right uh more pipe show stuff in the mailbag as well let's get the show rolling everybody sit back relax fire up a bowl thank you all for tuning in and here we go there's nothing quite like a good book or my genuine missouri meerschaum corn cob pipe an american legend since 1869 It's the coolest, smoothest pipe I've ever owned. See for yourself at corncobpipe.com. And we are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show. And again, here are three tobaccos that I think are a good representation of a specific style. And again, I picked out three that come from uh, different manufacturers, three that have... Uh, different, yeah, you know, that attempt to be different styles, although we're dealing in aromatics right now. And in these, I did pick out ones that were more on the, um, uh, I want to describe them as the lighter aromatics. So there is a tobacco presence there. And with the aromatics, it was hard for me because 
there are so many choices. I mean, so many choices. And again, remember, when you look at the global pipe tobacco community, we're talking about uh, 85% of pipe tobacco sold in the world can be considered an aromatic because it has some sort of flavoring put on either in the casing or in the top note. So that's why there's a lot to choose from. Uh, so to start off with, I went with three, uh, three that I think give you different styles again, give different directions again. And uh, from Cornell and Deal, I picked out Autumn Evening. And Autumn Evening, because it is a Virginia Cavendish, which is the American, uh, which is not a traditional American style. Uh, traditional American styles would have been with a burly Cavendish or with a burly tobacco cased and flavored. So this is a premium Virginia Cavendish and they add a delicate maple flavor. So, uh, you know, again, this is primarily a Virginia, but it's got that little bit of maple flavoring to it. So Cornell and Deal's Autumn Evening. And I'm going to go through these a little quicker than I did the others because there are so many that I want to make as honorable mentions as well. Uh, on the European side, uh, McBaron's Mixture, of course. I mean, been around since the 1950s. Hint of vanilla and fruit. Yeah, again, it's primarily a tobacco-forward blend that has these other flavorings added to it uh it's not a flavor bomb per se and you know again you'll you'll know you're smoking tobacco uh and that's from you know from mcbarron so now we got cornell and deal we got mcbarron and then uh, the last of the three that i picked was uh cult blood red moon and cult comes from the lane limited stg group which is now made in denmark uh, this is a uh, fire-cured Cavendish, so that fire-cured is more burly. And uh, bright Virginias and burlies with the aroma of cherry and dark chocolate. So we've got some vanilla in the McBaron. We've got maple, just a good sweetener in the Cornell and Deal. And now you got more fruit-flavored and chocolate in Cult Blood Red Moon, which has had a cult following for many, many years. So three premium aromatics from three different manufacturers and yeah, a great place to start. Now, I want to move on to some honorable mentions just so that you can try them out and see what you think. And the first one I want to bring up is the Yvonne Reese & Company 3 Star Blue, which is going to be the closest because it's toasted Burleys and Bright and Virginia's and a little bit of Perique and Latakia, and a secret sauce. So this is going to be the closest to an old world, uh, an old style, 1950s, 1960s aromatic. All right, it's going to be the closest that we're going to that we're going to find that I'm going to recommend. So if you want to if you want to try something that's an older style, Yvonne Reese Three Star Blue uh, from Eric Stokeby's Fourth Generation. Uh, the 1957 in particular, because I know Eric and because I know that's the year he was born and I know what he likes. And this is just going to be a, yeah, again, it's going to be a, uh, a base of good tobacco flavor and a little bit of vanilla flavoring to it. Naturally sweet. So from Eric Stokeby, fourth generation, 1957 is another good choice. Uh, 
The Peterson tobaccos have a handful of good aromatics in them, so don't miss out on those. Uh, I'm not going to pick out one in particular, but again, Peterson being made in Denmark now, uh, the, the aromatics are going to be really good and a chance for you to try something that comes out of the Scandinavian Tobacco Group factory, just like the Colt Blood Red Moon, but with a slightly different style. Uh, to finish off the honorable mentions, uh, Amphora, which we talked about last week. And Amphora comes in a pouch. And don't think that it's junk tobacco because it comes in a pouch. Because in Europe, most tobaccos come in a pouch. Why? Because the packaging is less expensive. And when you're dealing in high-tax states, you want to try to keep the cost down as much as possible or high-tax countries. So Amphora is... A premium tobacco that comes in a pouch in fact if you go to Europe you will find Orlet Golden Slice in a pouch you'll find all kinds of premium tobaccos in a pouch so again look at the Amphora family especially the full aroma and the regular those are the two classic styles uh, check out those not a lot of direct flavor forward but again soft flavoring and then uh, finally, from McBaron, also the Seven Seas line is all Virginia-based and good, clean, burning aromatics that you may find a premium in there. Uh, they are priced at you know, a little bit more, but instead of 50 grams, these are all three and a half ounces. So it's a bigger package size, so you get more bang for your buck. Uh, and they come in a tin, which makes it easier to close it back up and uh, you know, help save the tobacco a little bit longer. So there you go. Uh, three and then a whole flock of honorable mentions, but that's because the aromatic world is so big that I couldn't leave some of these. You know, I just couldn't narrow it down without giving you uh, some honorable mentions there and kind of my way of uh, you know weaseling out the back door of a, a sticky question of which three to pick. <laughs> All right. Uh, comments, questions, email me, Brian, B-R-I-A-N, at PipesMagazine.com. If you have your own suggestions, you can uh, email them to me or post them on the Pipes Magazine radio show page on PipesMagazine.com or the uh, Pipes Magazine radio show page on Facebook. Love to see what you guys think would be uh, your go-to three. And in just a moment, my conversation with Mike Burks. This is Internet Radio. Have a look in your tobacco cellar. What do you see? Think of what you smoke, what you age, what you're drawn to in a blend that keeps you wanting more. That's your taste. And whether you know it or not, you've been leading that expedition since you first picked up a pipe just by smoking what you like and liking what you smoke. But the funny thing about taste, it changes. And you need a wide selection to accommodate it. We at Smoking Pipes know this, and you know it too. So whether you're searching for a tried and true favorite or a singular boutique mixture, we're here to help you navigate the voyage of your evolving tastes. But you're still at the helm. Smoking Pipes, in faithful service of the hobby. We are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show, and joining us is uh, Mike Burks. And Mike, I'm happy to say that I don't know you. I haven't seen any of your pipes in person, but 
the ones that I've seen pictures of online, I was like, yeah, okay, I'm I'm intrigued. So, uh, part-time pipe maker Mike Burks, welcome to the Pipes Magazine radio show. Well, thanks for having me, Brian. It's quite an honor. All right, so let, let's get your superhero origin story. Um, where did you grow up? Where are you from? When did you grow up? And so on. Well, I grew up in a small town in Iowa. Um, yeah, that's an easy one. Where I'm from is maybe a, a difficult story <laughs> because I lived in a lot of places. I, I went to engineering school in Peoria, Illinois, at Bradley University. And um, following that, that's, that's where I met my wife. And we lived around Chicago uh, for a few years. And I was working for a German company at that time. And um, they transferred me to Germany. So we lived in Germany for about five years. And then they um, relocated me back to the U.S. or us back to the U.S. to New York State. And we lived there for a few years. Um, And then, in well, now it's been quite a few years, 2004, I guess, we moved to where we are now in Tiffin, Ohio. so that's sort of my life in a nutshell, as it were. Uh, so, um, so I'm imagining that your German is fairly uh, conversationally good. <laughs> yeah, I'm. I dare say I'm fluent in German. Um, you know, when you I, where we lived was a small town, very small town in Germany. So a lot of my colleagues uh, didn't speak English and. You might go hungry if you couldn't at least order food in German, so you better <laughs> learn it. Now, are you working as an engineer for a German company in Germany? Correct. Yeah. So, I mean, so you know, they always say you want the you know you want the Germans to engineer and build stuff, and you want the <laughs> Italians to dress you and the French to feed you. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they do. They they uh, they know what they're doing, and they're very uncompromising, and dare I say, also stubborn sometimes. But uh, I really learned a ton from it. We loved it there, and I I loved the the people I worked with. We still have, to this day, very close friends um, from Germany that we see whenever we can. So, uh, yeah, it was it was all in all, it was a great experience for me and and my family as well. My youngest, my daughter, was actually born there. Oh, so yeah. she's so she's got dual passports. Well, she the the rules change there quite frequently, and she <laughs> she would have, but the the year that she was born, we had to make that choice early on. So um, she's an American citizen. Ah, uh, what kind of what kind of engineering is your is your speciality? Uh, I'm a mechanical engineer but it's it's um i kind of specialized in more fluid dynamics uh thermodynamics um, mechanical engineers normally choose between you know hardcore mechanical design and more thermodynamic and that was the route that i chose and then i promptly never did it so <laughs> i've never really done that kind of hardcore thermodynamic design um and really, to be fair, it's been some years since I really did engineering at all. Um, but at least I have the degree. <laughs> so, 
So now, what are you doing for a full time living now in uh, in the middle in the middle of Ohio? Uh, I work for a company that um, that produces and services high speed metal forming machines, and um, I'm in management with them, and in particular with the service side of the business. And um, we have affiliates overseas in Germany and in Japan and China, and so my job takes me in those directions, uh, which is something I very much appreciate about my job as well. So, so now you're just going out and uh, selling and servicing and telling people how to sell and service instead of actually designing. Well, definitely not designing. I don't know about telling. <laughs> I, <laughs> I try to do as much listening as telling. <laughs> so when did, when did pipe smoking come into your life? Uh, well, uh, as a kid, my my grandfather smoked a pipe, like so many of us, I guess, and um, that's where I first became interested in it or first saw it, and uh, nice memories around that. And and my father had one as well, but he seldom smoked it. I suspect that he had it probably for the same reason that I was interested, because of my grandfather. And, um, and then just after college, I... Um, I got my first pipe and uh, pouch of Captain Black White and, you know, started started smoking for the first time and um, enjoyed it. You know, at that time, there was no there was no YouTube or something. So there there was nobody to really show me how to smoke it. So I, you know, promptly succeeded in burning my tongue pretty well and (laughs) uh, all the things that most of us probably went through when we started. And um and then I, I figured out what I was doing a little bit, but then my my kids came along and, and I put it away for, for that reason, just not smoking around the kids. And and um, then when my kids got older and in high school and heading off to college, I picked it up again and then, then I got, you know, that was sort of into the rabbit hole, I guess, as they say. <laughs> down the rabbit hole he went and was it youtube or that kind of helped you figure out what you were doing wrong yeah absolutely um well and then of course there were all the communities around pipe smoking and and that combination you know was so much more accessible at that time and i can remember i think the first youtube video i watched was mutton chop piper yeah. on how to smoke a pipe and and that already was was big help in one video and, and, uh, you know, just was much more enjoyable second time around. What, what kind of pipes and tobaccos did you start out with the second time? Well, estate pipes, um, that I got on eBay and of all different kinds, mostly factory pipes at the beginning. And, um, I would get them and restore them. And, you know, that's, that's fraught with trouble. Sometimes you'd, you'd get really good ones and other times you'd, you'd end up with a mess. Um, but, um, you know, I, I really am partial to barlings, pre-transition barlings. And I still have quite a few of those that are some of my best smokers. And, um, yeah, I still, still have them in my rotation today. What, uh, quickly, what is it about the barlings that you, that kind of, that stands out for you? Well, as a pipe maker, at least those pre pre transition barlings, um, you know, they they have a a funneled mouthpiece, and I mean they're they're 
so-called factory pipes, but if you look closely at them, you can see that the mouthpieces and stuff were were um, at least a quite a quite a bit of degree handmade, and and you can you can tell that in the smoke. I just think they smoke really really well. I think the briar's good and the engineering's solid, and um, I've just found them to be really great smokers. And it seems like as of late, unless it's a superior piece, you can get a good one for you know, for a steel compared to what they used to be about 10, 15 years ago. Yeah, that's true. Um, although most of them you find are, are post-transition and, and yeah. then they start to trend more, more towards, you know, traditional factory mouthpieces without the funnel and, uh, the pre-transition ones are really what I, what I've always tended to focus on. So was it the pipe restoration that said that, that made you start thinking about, you know what, maybe I can make a pipe. Absolutely. I, um, I'm a person who can't really dabble at anything. <laughs> I, if I do it, I normally dive pretty deeply. And, uh, so when I started restoring them, it wasn't very long before I, um, uh, decided that I quote unquote needed, uh, a buffing system. So I set that up in my basement and I think that was the, the first step in the direction of pipe making. <laughs> so, so did you seek out any advice at the beginning of what kind of equipment to get or you know where to get materials from or did you just dive in head first um just forums really um i discovered the pipe makers forum pretty early and there's uh tons of good advice to be had there if you can qualify you know where it's coming from Mm-hmm. Um, just like any other form, there are all kinds of people on there, but some of them are really knowledgeable and willing to share what they know. And that was a big help in the, in the early going for sure. All right. We're going to take a break right here. When we come back, we'll have more, uh, with uh, part-time pipe maker, Mike Burke. So stay with us. We'll be back in just a minute. Being at the forefront of craft tobacco production for over 20 years, we've been involved in some rather interesting projects at Cornell and Deal. From the cellar series to the small batch project, we're extremely proud of how far we've come. So moving forward, we wanted to take it back to basics, and that's what the Burley Flake series is all about. Burley is an underrated varietal, but there is a ton of nuance there. Using various condimental tobaccos to accentuate different aspects of the air-cured leaf, each blend in this series is intended to showcase different individual subtleties inherent to Burley. It's a simple concept, one that I think really speaks to the essence of what we do at C&D, as a crew of folks who just love tobacco. It's also really good. Cornell and Deal's Burley Flakes series, wherever fine tobaccos are sold. And we are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show. And Mike, this is when I start asking you, all right, so fluid dynamics, um, has that played a part in your pipe making, uh, in your pipe making skills? Absolutely. Um, <laughs> definitely. When I first got into pipe making, it was the engineering, you know, the, in, the internals of the pipe that I gravitated to and, um, understanding something about turbulence and trying to avoid turbulence in the in the airflow is is um, a big part, I think, of what makes a pipe 
a good smoker. So definitely I, I focused on that really from the beginning, probably before anything else. So let, let's back up so that from, cause you, I think you're the first actual engineer that I've had on that can talk about this. Uh, before we started recording, I jokingly said it's a piece of wood with two holes on it and a piece of plastic shoved up it. But <laughs> yeah. from the engineering standpoint, those measurements of those holes and the placement of those holes, they're kind of important, aren't they? Absolutely. Um, and the fit between those two. And, you know, I guess the best analogy I could give to you is uh, imagine a, a river. And if you have an eddy on the side that expands and then it gets narrow again, what will you see? You'll see, uh, you know, swirling water to the side, which is turbulence. And um, that's what, you know, causes moisture to drop out of the stream and, um, you know, all kinds of bad things that we don't like as pipe makers. And then I guess staying with the uh, with with the river theme uh, the stem becomes the delta, and if the stem isn't wide enough or doesn't have enough space for that airflow to come through, then you start getting turbulence there too. Absolutely, and that's you know one of the big challenges. If you if you could just have a consistent diameter all the way through, um, you know, in terms of airflow, that'd be the best solution. Um, but that would make a very thick bite, wouldn't it? So, uh, <laughs> bite maker, you try to keep the cross-sectional area the same um, when you widen out at the at the end of the mouthpiece, and that's that's the challenge. And then, uh, you know, design-wise, that's where where the pipes that you're making now kind of struck me. Um, who who are your first inspirations for for your pipe shaping? Wow. Um, well, I, it was in 2017, I guess, that I was becoming more active. And I found on Facebook a pipe maker who lived very near to one of the affiliates that I visit overseas in Suzhou, China. Um, his name is Lee Jason. Mm -hmm. If some of you out there may know him, um, I reached out to Lee and he invited me to visit his workshop and I spent a few days there and just blew my mind. It, um, he was so helpful and so open and, um, you know, as much as I could cram into this tiny brain in a weekend, uh, I really did. And, you know, I've been great friends with Lee ever since. And, um, Lee, for, for those of you who know him is his pipes are, are primarily, I would say Danish style pipes in design. Yeah. And his attention to detail is incredible uh, inside and out. He's um, he's fantastic. And in uh, in just one visit, I kind of I learned the basics um, in that first visit. And I also sort of learned how far away I really was from being a good pipe maker all in that all in one visit. And, you know, since then, I've spent a lot of time in his shop and, um, you know, continue to learn from him and a great friend then shortly thereafter um i i was working on expanding my shop and i met promo cheddar mm -hmm. and um smokers haven and and Rawcrafted now his business in columbus and promo was also incredibly generous and 
Tremel really helped me in some of the tool making aspects and some techniques as well and in setting up my shop. And um, at the time, I'd found an old lathe for sale on Facebook Marketplace. It was a 1943 <laughs> South Bend 9-inch, and Premel went with me to check it out. Um, I understood something about lathes a little bit, but I but I didn't know from, from the aspect of a pipe maker what we really needed, and, and um, he went with me to, to check it out, and from there it was off to the races. And then from time to time, I would you know, go back to Premel with pipes that I was working on or photos, and he is always giving me good advice. So there, Premel, I would say, is my sort of second influence. And then the third, again, in Asia, um, Lee had introduced me to a Taiwanese pipe maker named Jerry Zen. Mm-hmm. And um, Jerry is, I would say, sort of the, the yin to Lee's yang. If, if Lee's the technician, the precise technician, Jerry is sort of the, the mad art professor and he's just sort of a charismatic personality and his, his pipes, when you see a Jerry Zen pipe, you know, it's a Jerry Zen pipe and, um, he's really something else. And I've, I've spent some time in his shop as well, learned a lot from him. So I would say those three guys, um, Lee and Premal Chetta and Jerry Zen have been the biggest influence on me. Do you prefer to drill first and then shape or shape first and drill second? Totally depends on the pipe. You know, there are some pipe shapes like a billiard, for example, where there's a big advantage to drilling first and shaping on the lathe. So those I will, I'll do on the lathe and I'll drill first. Other pipe shapes, you know, I would tend to um, shape first and, and drill second. And that, and I guess you need for the billiard and stuff like that, you need to hit those shapes dead on. So you may as well drill it first and see if there's any problems on the outside of the pipe. Yeah, absolutely. And there's no, you know, you said it correctly. I think there's nowhere to hide in a, in a billiard, a classic shape like that. It's, it's gotta be right. And, um, and those are, you know, some, you hear it, pipe makers probably say this to you all the time, but those are the toughest shapes to make really. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's true. Yeah, when you're making something out of your imagination, you can't really make it too wrong because it's not on paper. Yeah, that's right. Everybody looks who looks at a billiard knows what a billiard is supposed to look like, right? Yeah. Um, so yeah. In the in the four plus years now of pipe making, is there a shape that is just still bugging the crap out of you? Boy, I I tend to go. You know, I experiment with lots of different shapes. There are some that uh, some pipe makers love that I just haven't really gone to yet, like a blowfish. I've not really done that. I tend to, you know, I want to get really good at the at the classics uh, better than I am at, um, by in any case. And um, so I've made a lot of, you know, classic shapes, billiards and Dublins and brandies and uh, pipes like that. And um you know, I have an acorn shape that I like to make that seems to have gotten, you know, pretty good response, at least on my for me on my Instagram uh, page. So I've made quite a few of those as well. I think I know the acorn that we're talking about because that might have been the one that kind of made me go, OK, yeah, 
because uh, I I think it might have gone to San Antonio first. Uh, yeah, that's correct. That's one of them. Yeah, to to uh, Sadex Pipe. Yeah, Blake reached out to me. Um, you know, on Instagram, and he's what a great guy. He was um, so easy to work with and supportive, and um, I was happy to have him. Um, you know, stock some of my pipes and, and market them on his website. So how many pipes a year do you hope to make? And knowing that, you know, with all your travel and, and work, that probably cuts into the fun time in the shop. For sure it does. And, you know, I just make pipes because I love them anyway. So I'm not very driven to make a lot of them. I make probably 25 pipes a year in that range. And I, what I tend to do is, you know, in the evenings, um, I'll go down to my shop and, and work from, you know, 9 to 11, like that. And it's a, it's a great way to sort of end the day, wind the day down, and clear my mind with anything else I've been doing during the day. And um, So I tend, I tend to do that, which, you know, probably limits also my output, too. But uh, I don't mind too much. How often do you get a chance to smoke a pipe? Um maybe not every day but close you know if i'm in my shop i'll i'll usually be smoking a pipe as i'm working um yeah i dare say almost every day is is that uh, does that help you focus on the pipe when you're when you're working if you're puffing on a pipe at the same time not really i can't i can't say that it's just something i i enjoy while i'm while i'm working uh, at first, when I did that, I found that I would smoke too fast, and I had to learn to, you know, just mindless. I was focused on something else, and um, and I would smoke a little too fast. I had to learn to slow it down a little while I was working. And now, since you've spent time in, yeah, all over the world, really, um, are there differences in the way pipe smoking is received in different part of the different parts of the world oh yeah um absolutely true um i mean for one thing in the u.s if you're if you're um, not with other pipe smokers you know <laughs> smoking of any kind is is usually kind of frowned upon unless you go to where you know the specific places where we're even allowed to anymore and by comparison and you know asia in particular in china it's um uh, Pretty much any restaurant you go to, you can you can break out your pipe after dinner and, and enjoy it with friends. And Japan also generally pretty friendly uh, for pipe smokers as well. And um, of course, everywhere pipe smoking is something unique for most people, so it's it's not unusual for people to ask you about it, or um, which is something kind of nice too. I guess it's a sort of icebreaker. Any travel problems with getting around with tobacco? I've never had any. Um, maybe I've just been lucky, but I've, I've never had any problem. I usually, I, I sell our tobacco in um, jars, and I usually travel with those in my suitcase. But, uh, you know, so far, at least, I've not had any issue. All right, so we've gotten into tobacco cellaring and making our own pipes um yeah you've gone in head deep <laughs> yeah right thankfully my wife is a patient woman 
is there a particular part of the pipe making process that you look forward to? Um, definitely the, I mean, this will sound strange because generally pipe makers don't like to make stems. Yeah. Um, and shaping the outside of stems especially can be tedious, but the work of the funnel uh, at the end is something that I like specifically because of what we talked about before, sort of the, the importance of that. Uh, on the quality of the pipe and sort of the real focus that it requires. And um, so I enjoy that. And then, of course, the shaping. Every every pipe maker loves to sit at the wheel and shape pipes, and I'm, I'm no exception. And is there a part of the pipe making process that you just hate and you just want it to be over with? Yeah, cutting tenons, <laughs> <laughs> cutting the tenons and, uh, and, and drilling to some extent is more sort of uh, routine procedural so it, it's necessary and you got to do it well for sure um but it's not as much fun i would say as the, the other things that's something that the mechanical engineer would really like is but the you know but the fluid dynamics guy is like nah exactly maybe if i if i'd gone the hardcore mechanical design i'd love that drilling <laughs> Yeah, but uh, as an engineer, you know you've got to nail the dimensions of that tenon in that mortise dead on. Otherwise, you've got a pipe on the floor and a stem in the mouth. Yeah, I've had a few of those too. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, I, I mean, I tend to be a perfectionist about that in particular. So if something's, something's not right on, it, it's got to go. And now you're you're also working with all kinds of other stem materials and accent rings and stuff like that too. So you, I mean, you've you've fallen all the way in under. You're you're completely underwater. Congratulations. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's kind of fun too, right? Trying out new materials and you know, I like to work with horn that has its own challenges and different kinds of exotic woods for ring accents and. Um, few times I've made some fake light, fake light stems, which can be really neat. I enjoy that as well. And they all have learning curves. You know, each material behaves differently. So you just kind of learn as you go and react to it. Are you able to buy new pieces of Bakelite or are you having to find old Bakelite and, uh, and repurpose it? You may be able to, but I haven't. Um, every all the bakelite that I've bought has been vintage stuff. So, you, so you're buying somebody's old toaster and cutting it into pieces. <laughs> yeah, or rods. I mean, there are some vintage rods out there, and it's it's pretty costly stuff too. So, when yeah, you, you don't mess it up when you're uh, when you're dealing with the horn extensions and stuff like that. Uh, does the horn smell really bad when you're shaping it down to size? Yeah. Yeah, it does have a, a particular smell that's not pleasant. And it also changes over time. So you you have to um, fit it and, and, um, and then let it sit for a while before you go to the final shaping because it it'll change a little bit after that point. And I'm guessing is your workshop in the basement of your house, so you you got to close off the shop so that that smell doesn't go through the house. You know, I probably should, but I don't. <laughs> As I said, my my wife is pretty tolerant. 
<laughs> She's upstairs going, that stinks. Oh, no, Mike's just working on a horn stem. Yeah, well, I, I just yell up. It wasn't me. That's what I did. <laughs> it does have that certain aroma of um, uh, beans in a campfire. It's not pleasant. It's not pleasant for sure. Or burning hair kind of comes to mind. Yeah, more like, yeah, that's probably more like it. Burning hair, pretty yeah. much what it smells like. But, you know, ebonite's also not, you know, not a great smell. No. Um, and buffing vulcanite kind of, yeah. No. All these unwonderful smells that really make our pipes taste good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, how did we get here? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, the smell of perique burning tastes great. Smells bad. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Mike, we yeah. will wrap this up with the fast five final questions. No right answer, no wrong answer, just whatever comes to your mind. Are you ready? Yeah, shoot. What is your favorite pipe? It's uh, a brandy, uh, Lee Jason brandy that, um, that I got from him in one of the first times that we met. It's a great smoker. And uh, also just has a lot of nice memories attached to it. And what is your favorite tobacco? Now, that's a tough question. Uh, I smoke Virginias and Vapors and English blends, all three. I'd probably say my favorite blend is Samuel Gay with St. James Flake. Ooh, stinky. Um, <laughs> what is your favorite drink? Um, bourbon. Bourbon on the rocks. How'd you do with bourbon when you were in Germany? What did, uh, well, I just substituted. You have to be adaptable. <laughs> <laughs> there I, I drank a lot of beer, and there's no place that the beer is better than Germany. No, you are not kidding. Um, yeah, whatever the local Pilsner is or whatever they have, fine. I'll have it. Wheat beer is my, my favorite, Weizen beer. Fantastic in Germany. When it's time to relax, do you prefer a book, a movie, or music? Probably music, jazz in particular. Oh, then you would have gotten along great in Germany because American jazz is huge. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And then finally, do you have a favorite pipe smoking related memory? Um, boy, so many of them. You know, when we meet with other pipe smokers and hang out, those are always good times. And I, I don't know that I could pinpoint one in particular. Just too many. Yeah. That's, yeah. That'd be a terrible question to ask myself, so I'll never ask it to myself. <laughs> uh, where can we go to see your pipes and uh, to pester you to make one for us or see what's available for sale? Uh, the best place is my Instagram site, which is at burks.pipes. Um, yeah, that's the best place. I also have a um, an email, burks.pipes at gmail.com. So either one of those will work. And price-wise, where are you on your pipes now? Um, range is generally from 250 to 350 So there you go. Handmade by a mechanical engineer, so you know that their the fit and finish is going to be good. Hope so. Or, or the engineer is going to go crazy. Um, <laughs> yeah. 
Mike, thanks for coming on. Thanks for doing this. I look forward to keeping an eye on your uh, Instagram account and uh, finding a pipe for myself. Well, thanks for having me, Brian, and thanks for doing the show. It's really a, a great thing for pipe smokers everywhere. And hopefully it's encouraged more of them to join us and not some of them to quit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it has. And we'll be back in just a minute. A Savinelli pipe is a testament to a long legacy, fortified by well-worn hands and destined to be enjoyed for generations. For over 150 years, Savinelli has been dedicated to sourcing the world's finest briar, committed to pushing the boundaries of pipe design, and devoted to the tradition of Italian pipe making. Savinelli is more than a mark. They're a way to help you make your mark. And like you, there can only be one Savinelli. This is Internet Radio. And we are back. You know, when Mike first said he was an engineer, I was hoping, you know, choo-choo engineer. But no, turns out he's one of those smart type engineers. So anyway, <laughs> yeah, uh, check out his pipes. Seriously. All right. For music, uh, I got a message through uh, Instagram or, uh, yeah, I think it's Instagram uh, or Facebook. One of those places. And it's from Jared and Jared writes, uh, I've been listening to you talk about the Royal Yacht Tins for the JDRF auction for weeks now. You finally convinced me I bought it. <laughs> so thank you very much. And then he says, oh, and I'd love to make a suggestion for the music section of the show. Midnight Special performed by Willie Watson. Great song, plus Willie is smoking a full bent something on the cover of the album. And uh, sure enough, Willie Watson is a uh, in his early 40s and is a folk singer and has a website. It's... Uh, williewatson.com w-i-l-l-i-e watson w-a-t-s-o-n.com uh touring musician too and has some shows coming up all over the country this fall uh but this is uh willie watson singing a midnight special yonder come miss rosie how in the world do you know Oh, well, I know she buy her apron And the dress she wore Umbrella on her shoulder A piece of paper in her hand Well, she gone to see the governor Turn loose of my man Left the midnight special Shine his light on up in the morning when that big bell rings you go march you to the table it's the same damn thing knives and forks are on the table ain't nothing in my pan you say anything about it with the man, let the midnight special shine its light on me. Let the midnight special shine its ever loving light on me. Well, jumping little Judy, 
She was a mighty fine gal. Now Judy brought jumping to this whole round world where she brought it in the morning, just right before day. She brought me the news, and my wife was dead, which started me to grieve. And I done a holiday and cried. Then I begun to worry. By the very long time, let the midnight special shine a light on me. Let the midnight special. Your bottom dollar, you penitentiary bound. Let the midnight special shine its light on me. Let the midnight special shine its ever loving light on. And again, that's Willie Watson. It's from the uh, CD called Folk Singer Volume 1. And there he is smoking a bent pipe right on the cover of it. So check him out. You've got freaking mail. And remember, if you have a comment or question, email me, Brian, B-R-I-A-N, at PipesMagazine.com. Or, you know, get it to me on one of the socials, although the email's a little bit better. Or the best way is go to PipesMagazine.com and post it on the Pipes Magazine radio show page. And uh, then I get to see it, and everybody else does, too. Uh, and uh, Steve Davenport wrote, uh, going back to last week's show, he said, I was listening to this week's show and had a bit of a wait what moment as you were introducing Ryan. It's not every day I get to hear another geologist on the show, but also one in the same line of work, watching water trickle into bottles and stuffing dirt into jars. I suspect I have a few years on him, though. Uh, my company has an office in Charlotte. I'll have to plug his name into my directory and, by, and see if by chance work for the same outfit. Anyway, he did, and they don't. But uh, anyway, there you go. Two guys that um, like dirt and rocks and stuff. 
Uh, and then Dino writes, well, Ryan has surely dived off the deep end. 100 open tobaccos. Yeah. Good conversation. Great music. Stevie Ray Vaughan. Enough said. Quite an apropos on spot on closing comment. Thanks, Dino. You are welcome. And then uh, Casey Ghost writes, enjoyable show. The conversation on what to carry with you was quite good. Unfortunately, I only smoke a pipe in the comfort of my man cave. Of course, if someone had, if someone dropped by, I would certainly make the offer. I can't imagine having 100 plus open containers of tobacco. You have to be kidding. A tin usually lasts me a good two weeks. That's a lot of smoking he has to do. Uh, the amazing thing was the wide range of tobaccos he, he likes. Uh, Stevie Ray Vaughan was good, but it would be nice if he wasn't always trying to impress you. Too late now. Yeah, he always impressed me. Uh, anyway, thanks, Dan. Uh, and then Pipe Master says, I hope we get back to pipe makers and industry people. I'm not interested in new pipe smokers. Okay, sorry. Uh, do you have anybody that you would like to hear or have on the show? Email those suggestions to me or post them on pipesmagazine.com. Either way, I'll, uh, I'll take care of you, try to do the best I can for you. Uh, and then uh, Tim writes, uh, as I was listening to the Pipes Magazine radio show, as I do every Wednesday morning, you had just finished your great tips for encouraging pipe smoking when a fellow construction worker pulled up, presented a country gentleman cob with the words, you said if I got a pipe, you would fill it. What an amazing coincidence. I'm fortunate to be currently minding the gate on a large construction site, which allows me to smoke my pipes daily. About 100 workers a day see me smoking good tobaccos. I had indeed promised to fill this fellow's pipe, so I immediately accommodated him. As luck would have it, the only tin I had on hand, which I was uh, smoking as I listened to the program, was 2020 Sunbear. I presented the Sunbear as he packed his pipe. He said, this smells fantastic. Where can I get some? I explained you can't, but I do know where you can get some great tobaccos and advice. Then I presented my business card. That's right. In order to promote the pipe smoking hobby, our local tobacconist and the Fredericksburg Pipe Society, I had business cards made with all the information a novice pipe smoker may need to connect with our group and our local tobacconist. Thank you for advocating for the hobby, Brian. Please encourage your listeners to have the similar business card made. It's easy to promote the hobby when you can put a quality card in their hands, directing them to a tobacconist who can share the, share the passion for our great hobby. P.S. Starbucks sucks. <laughs> Thank you to Tim for sending that in. And uh, yeah, you know, not a bad idea. Put your, you know, maybe, uh, I don't know. Some, some little card with, uh, with a couple of websites, and it's like my uh, Pipes Magazine radio show business card. Anyway, uh, Rick writes in, Hi, Brian. I have much to talk to you about, including a trip to Disney World next spring break, but that will have to wait for another time. I started smoking a pipe last August, so I'm coming up on the one-year mark, and your show has been a valuable resource in my pipe and tobacco education. I purchased three JDRF offerings from Steve on Sunday. Right now I am smoking the Astley's number 109 medium flake, the first aged Virginia I've ever smoked, and it is lovely. Just wanted to send a note to say thank you for all you do for JDRF. My regards to your daughter. Sincerely, Rick. 
thank you very much, Rick. Thanks for the purchase. Thanks for uh, doing, yeah. Thanks for trying out the tobaccos and, uh, and yeah, trusting Steve. But yeah, and if you know when you're getting ready, email me. Send me an email. We'll sit down on the phone for a while, and I'll uh, talk you through the the Disney trip stuff. Uh, and then from uh, the folks at Sutliff and the Conclave of Richmond Pipe Smokers, the core show. I got an advanced copy of the flyer of the events coming up October 1st and 2nd at the Sutliff Tobacco Company in Richmond, Virginia. Uh, at this moment, I am not going to be there, but if, the, if my trip gets canceled, I certainly will try my best. Uh, and the, uh, I mean, the cool stuff is it says, uh, join us at the longest running pipe smoker event in the world. Yeah, 30-something plus years, 33. Um, Pipe collections, pipes for sale, and trade new era and vintage tobaccos, Sutliff Factory Tours. Here's a kicker. Blending seminars with Perry Jensen, Jeremy Reeves, and Russ Wallette. Uh, food, craft, beer, and friends, blah, 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 blah. New show format. Friday, October 1st from 9 to 7, the Sutliff Tobacco Factory Tours, blending and pipe-related seminars. Uh, you have to go online and uh, reserve your spot. Uh, a free half table to trade buy sell for everyone starting at 2 p.m. and a food drunk uh, food truck at lunchtime and free dinner barbecue and adult beverages. Uh, Saturday is the regular show. Uh, show tables are uh, uh, where is it? Here it is. Uh, show tables only. No seminars. No tours, etc. So that you can enjoy the show. So the tours are on Friday. Show is on Saturday. October 2nd and there is no parking there um, the there will be a free shuttle go to the website for all the details uh, core show or uh, Sutliff and uh, get that going so check that out I don't want to go on all the details because this is like two pages but anyway looks like fun uh, no parking there you have to take the shuttle from the Omni Hotel and the shuttle is free to go back and forth Again, comments, questions, email me, brian at pipesmagazine.com. Happy to help you with travel stuff or yeah, anything else. And in just a moment, a big rave. This is Phil Morgan, General Manager of Missouri Meerschaum Corncob Pipes in Washington, Missouri. Our mission since 1869 has been to produce great smoking pipes that anyone can afford. We guarantee our pipes won't be your most expensive, but they just might be the ones you smoke the most. At Missouri Meerschaum Company, we don't just sell our corncob pipes. We grow them, make them, and smoke them. Missouri Meerschaum, Washington, Missouri, since 1869. Let me take this moment for a heartfelt thank you all for this year's JDRF auction. The uh, cash fundraiser, which is still going on on Facebook through my uh, Facebook page, is up over $440. 
the tins of tobacco all sold, including the one that I donated. Was, that was 50 bucks, and I, I don't even remember the rest of them, but there was a couple hundred dollars there at least. And then the eBay auctions, including the two pocket jars donated by the Pipery, um, custom made with my picture on the label instead of uh, the nice Pipery design. Um, both of those sold for $56 each, and that's a $25 retail item. Uh, the uh, the messenger bag donated by uh, Ed at Darkfire Leather, $282. The the uh, the pipe pouch one hundred and fifty seven dollars, um, the methadone clinic Mickey Mouse meerschaum a hundred and three dollars and fifty cents. So whoever bought that, thank you very much. I hope you enjoy it. I hope it doesn't scare you too much. Uh, the Eric Nording pipe for fifty two dollars was probably the deal of the entire auction. Uh, the unsmoked Butch Shoken for eighty six. A Scott Klein pipe for $204.50, and that was donated by Steve Fallon, the pipe stud. Uh, the two James Gilliam pipes from uh, JSEC and uh, you know James Gilliam, who we've had on the show before. Uh, unsmoked brand new pipes, these were a deal too. Uh, $205 and $175. I mean, just incredible pipes, but thank you very much. And then that uh, gorgeous Costello went for just over $300. And then on uh, Saturday, if you're not a member of the uh, of Steve Fallon's uh, first responders, his email list, uh, Steve sent out this email last Saturday morning and said, "Howdy, gang! I wanted to start off today's newsletter by actually talking about a dozen auctions that end on my eBay site." starting at 12.30 p.m. Central Time this afternoon. Each of these auctions are actually nonprofit auctions to benefit the Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation. I participate each year because friends of mine have children who are affected by this disease. Uh, he tells a little bit about it, but and then he says, uh, if any of you first responder members happen to win one of these JDRF auctions today, please email me and let me know the tobacco type to your preference and I will send you a well-aged tin of something that fits the tobacco type you most enjoy. Just a small way of saying thank you. So let me say in a big way, let me say thank you again to Steve Fallon for all of his work, all the stuff he donated, all of his time, and he pays all the eBay fees and the shipping fees. So you know, Steve, I can't thank you enough, and you're probably not listening to this because you won't listen to the show anyway unless uh, you're on it. But I love you to death, and uh, thank you again for everything you do. Uh, if you're looking for vintage tobaccos, go to pipestud.com, and if you're uh, not signed up for his first responder emails, you should do that. And keep an eye on his eBay site. And again, thank you to all for it. In total, I don't have the exact number, but we are well above $2,000 again this year. So as a father of a, a child with type 1 diabetes, thank you all for everything you did, for all the donations, for all the bids and the purchases. So with that being said, thank you to Mike for joining me. Thank you all for tuning in. And until next time.
clouds when we're together. Just sing a song and think about sunny weather. Happy When I grow up, I want to be just like Steve Fallon or be his boyfriend.